Mark Cuban. Going against the norm and, and looking for people who had great ideas is, is really what I look for as opposed to individuals mentoring me. David Stern. Thank you. Those are very kind and generous words. I greatly appreciate them. And thanks for having me on. Jeannie Buss. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. It's good to see everybody. Chris Everett. It was very interesting. You asked great questions. So thank you very much, Brian. Damian Lillard. That was for Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> Maria Taylor. Oh, thanks, Brian. I appreciate it. And your preparation shows too. Tim Howard. Oh, I appreciate you saying. I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Just to name a few. Welcome to Sports Business Radio. Now, here's Brian Berger. Well, thanks for joining us on this edition of Sports Business Radio. Excited to bring it to you. Hope you're doing well. My main guest today is Brendan Hunt. He is co-creator and actor on the hit Apple TV Plus show, Ted Lasso. He's going to take us inside the making of what I think is one of the most cleverly scripted shows on TV Whether you've seen it or not, Jason Sudeikis plays Ted Lasso, a small-time college football coach from Kansas, hired to coach a professional soccer team in England, despite having no experience coaching soccer. So Brendan Hunt is going to discuss his longtime friendship with Sudeikis. They go back about 25 years, how they came up with the concept of the show, how they decided on Richmond, which is in London, for the location to shoot the show, and the process for writing the episodes and the work that's already underway for season two of Ted Lasso on Apple TV+. Plus. I'm very excited about that. Also joining me on the show this week, a conversation with John Levy, founder and CEO of The Score, the company behind the first and only completely integrated media and sports betting offering in the United States. Levy discusses the growth of that company as well as the future of sports betting. This week's edition of Sports Business Radio is presented by CBDMD, the official CBD partner of Sports Business Radio. Visit CBDMD.com and use promo code SBR to save 25% at checkout. I'm joined by executive producer Brian Griggs. Griggs, how are you? I'm doing good. And uh, you told me you were having Brendan on. You're like, you got to watch the show. So this last weekend, I binged it. And just like you said, such a clever, fun uh, comedy, but still some drama in there. Great show. Love the cast. Uh, Brendan does a great job and just a, a cool show. So I encourage you to watch it. And the interview today with Brendan's is uh, spot on. Love it. Yeah, thanks. And, and you know, there's so many recycled shows these days and reboots and everything's being remade. And, and it's rare that you see something that is really unique and clever. And I think that's what Ted Lasso is. And I think one of the things that surprised me the most is when I saw the previews of the show when it was first coming out in August, I was like, okay, this is going to be slapstick funny and Jason's pretty funny. And I didn't really know the rest of the cast. But then you watch the show and you're like, hey, there's some real depth to these characters. And, you know, it hooked me early on. It wasn't just a, a slapstick show. There's some real uh, human stories and it was really good. So, yeah, I think you'll enjoy the conversation. You know, Griggs, that we love to get behind the scenes on the process of how things are done on this show. And it's really cool to talk to Brendan because he he takes us inside that process. Before we get to the interview, let's get to some headlines. First, Griggs, tonight is Game 7 in the Western Conference semifinals, the Los Angeles Clippers and the Denver Nuggets. And if I can figure out all the technology behind it, yours truly is scheduled to be in the Denver Nuggets virtual fan experience, courtesy of the Nuggets, Griggs. You might see my face for radio or face for podcasting on the big screen during the broadcast tonight. 
You told me that yesterday. I started laughing. I'm like, there you go. Face for radio. Now you're going to be on national TV in the stands. I love it. I can't wait to see it tonight. So we'll see how that works out. But, you know, I think that's been a big activation for uh, Michelob and all those fans, whether they're VIPs or just fans of his team. Um, it's been fun for them. And it's been one of those activations that's really stood out during the NBA season and now the playoffs. So I'm excited to see what it's all about and uh, go Nuggets. I've got some friends with the Nuggets, so I'm, I'm going Nuggets game seven. And uh, we'll see how that goes. Another headline this week, Griggs, NFL season gets underway. And the two biggest games of the weekend as far as TV viewership, one, the opening game, Thursday Night Football, the Chiefs and the Texans, that was one of the most watched games of the year, top five TV show of the year. So you had like the Super Bowl and you had uh, the Academy Awards, the Oscars, who ranked higher. But it was one of the most watched shows of the year. And then on Sunday, it was one of the biggest games uh, since 2016. Projects to rank as the most watched telecast of any kind since Super, the last Super Bowl. So uh, that was Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Bucks and Drew Brees and the New Orleans Saints. That was the afternoon game on Fox. So big ratings. Griggs, you know, I think we're going to see huge ratings for the NFL because college football, who knows where that's going to be. Um, NFL's always gotten great ratings, but now that people can't really attend the games, they're stuck inside. Only Jacksonville allowed fans for an NFL game this weekend. I think we're going to see really big numbers for the NFL on TV this season. Oh, yeah. I was giddy on Thursday. Like, okay, finally, we got some NFL coming tonight. Fans or not, I'm excited to watch the NFL. That was a great game. Two awesome quarterbacks going head to head. Always fun to see what Mahomes can do on the field. And then you're right. Tampa Bay is now relevant, and uh, it's going to be fun to see where they go. And that was a fun game, too. So NFL back. I'm excited. Two Monday night games last night were fun. Uh, bring it on. Yeah, and I'll say this. And, you know, I don't want to take a shot at the previous Monday night football announcers, but I really like uh, the games that were called last night on ESPN on Monday night. So they had Kirk Herbstreet and Chris Fowler, who that was their first NFL game that they've called in 25 years of working together. That's pretty amazing. They did a nice job. I mean, they're always prepared. They have a good chemistry. They play well off of each other. I thought that was good. And then you had Steve Levy, uh, Brian Greasy, and Lewis Riddick, who I thought were a big upgrade. And I think that's going to be the main Monday night football crew. I thought they were a big upgrade over last year. They're just knowledgeable. Look, when I'm watching those games, I want insight. I want some nuggets, some tidbits. Uh, I want some real-time analysis, and I want some chemistry. I didn't feel like that was the case the last couple years, and I really liked what I saw on ESPN last night, so I think they're off to a good start. What did you think? Yeah, I agree. I, I really love having uh, Kurt and, and Fowler because, you know, they have so much insight. And you're like you said, tidbits. They have the college game knowledge. So they knew all the rookies. They knew all these players coming in. They knew all the stories behind them and where they played. That was kind of fun to be like, hey, we, we, we watched him play it. You know, they were talking about Barkley playing at Penn State or wherever and all this stuff. And it's like, that's the kind of stuff I like, like knowledgeable, good guys that know the game, know the players, and then they can, you know, mesh well when they're talking. So, yeah, I think both crews were great. Well, and Herb Street was even... Uh, you know, he, he even admitted, he goes, look, it is our first NFL game. And this is so much faster than what we see on the college football field. Like it is, if you've been to a college game and then you go to an NFL game, it's so much faster on the NFL field than it is on the college field. And for them to kind of admit that and, and to point that out, I thought that was uh, cool too. 
Yeah, I agree. And and you're right. I mean, I've when you watch a high school game and you go to a college game and you go to an NFL game, you're like, holy cow, these NFL players are animals out here. And they are so quick to the ball and so aggressive to tackle. And yeah, it's a much faster game. And I thought it was cool. And, and they admitted like, hey, we're rookies at this too. So bear with us. And I thought they did great. And shout out to our friend Maria Taylor, who did a great job last night on Monday Night Football. That was her first time doing Monday Night Football. She's always done a great job in studio. She's done college football. She's done NBA, but she had not done NFL. And uh, I thought she did a great job. And frankly, she's done an amazing job uh, really, you know, since March, since the pandemic hit. And she did a great job before that, but she's really stepped it up. And it's great to see her getting even more prominence, uh, you know, in the last couple of months and getting roles like the one on Monday Night Football last night. So shout out to Maria Taylor, who joined us, what, in November, December. She's just great. And it's great to see her star continue to rise. Yeah, I agree. And like you said, she's she's just good at all of it. She's kind of reminds me of like a Justin Timberlake where, oh, I can act. I can do NBA. I can do NFL. I can do college. She does it all. And it's like she's just know, known it all along. So she's fun to watch and just uh, commands your, your uh, listening ear and your, your watchful eye. So I love Maria Taylor. The other big story of the week, according to our friends at Sportico, Steve Cohen is in agreement to buy the New York Mets from the Wilpon and Katz families. The deal is for 95% of the Mets. So Cohen will own 95% of the Mets. The deal values the Mets at approximately $2.475 billion. That would make it the most paid for an MLB franchise, topping the $2.15 billion paid for the Dodgers and that surrounding real estate. So a big deal in Major League Baseball. You know, I think it's been no secret that people have wanted the Wilpon and Katz families to sell the Mets and sell to an owner who has deep pockets and someone who's going to do more with the team and spend more on the roster. And And I think Mets fans will be excited that Steve Cohen is, is the new owner. Uh, he beat out a group led by J-Lo and A-Rod, but uh, I think Mets fans will be happy because Steve Cohen has, has very deep pockets. And, you know, it seems like he, he's been a Mets fan his whole life. So it'd be like, Griggs, if, you know, you got to buy your favorite sports team and, you know, you're going to be passionate about it. It's not just a business deal like this was your favorite team growing up. Yeah, I think that's the key. I mean, we see it with the Mavs, you know, and we see it with Steve Ballmer at the Clippers. These guys that love their team, man, they just they build better teams because they're into it so much. Their passion is there. And like you said, long time coming for Mets fans. I think this is going to be a good move for them. And I, I see big changes ahead in the right direction for the Mets. All right, coming up next, we're going to go inside the hit TV show, Ted Lasso, with co-creator and coach Beard on the show, Brendan Hunt. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. CBDMD is the official CBD partner of Sports Business Radio, and I couldn't be happier. Their products have made a huge difference in the quality of my life, my daughter's life, even our dog's life. I was having a difficult time sleeping, and CBDMD CBD PM drops and capsules have allowed me to sleep better than I have in years. CBD Freeze has been amazing for my daughter and I after we work out. Even our dog loves CBDMD's soft chews. They've got a great array of products. And one of the things I like the most about CBDMD's products, they're all THC-free. That was very important to me. CBDMD is also the first American CBD company to be publicly listed on the New York Stock Exchange. Check them out under the ticker symbol YCBD. Athletes such as two-time Masters champion golfer Bubba Watson, former NFL wide receiver turned broadcaster Nate Burleson, and UFC athletes Daniel Cormier and Chael Sonnen use CBDMD's high-quality products. 
Change your quality of life just like I did. These are anxious times for a lot of us, and CBDMD's products have helped me sleep better and just live a a higher quality of life. Visit CBDMD.com and enter the promo code SBR to save 25% off at checkout. That's CBDMD.com, promo code SBR. My guest is Brendan Hunt. He plays Coach Beard on one of my favorite TV shows, Ted Lasso. He's the co-creator of the show. You can find season one and hopefully season two on Apple Plus TV. Follow Brendan on Twitter at Brendan Hunting. Brendan, thanks so much for joining me on Sports Business Radio. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm doing great. I really want to hear the premise for this show and how you guys came up with it because I watch a lot of TV. I watch a lot of movies. There's so many reboots. There's so much that's recycled right now. And this is truly clever and unique and original. Uh, Jason Sudeikis, who plays uh, Ted Lasso, small-time college football coach from Kansas, wins a Division II national championship. Then he's hired to coach a professional soccer team in England, despite having no coaching experience. So I'm giving that out in case our audience hasn't watched Ted Lasso before, but how do you guys come up with this idea? Because it's really original. Uh, well, it was commercials first um, uh, that we made for NBC Sports. That we were at the time they uh, were trying to promote their their new coverage of the English Premier League, and you know they saw a pathway into it as trying to like not fight the fact that Americans typically don't know that much about soccer, but to sort of lean into it. Um, so we did that the one year, and it went really, really well. And they had us come back the next year. And um, at that point, we started finding out that, like, even though these videos were made for an American audience, they were being watched as much in the UK as they were at home. Mm. And that's when we started to think, like, okay, this might have more legs to become something else. So those videos were originally made in, what, 2012, right? 2013 and 2014, yeah. Okay. So, I mean, you had a few years to kind of, you know, come up with the idea. When did you and Jason, who I understand have known each other for a long time, when did you guys start talking about, hey, maybe we take this from commercials to TV show? Uh, Pretty quickly. Um, It was me and Jason and uh, Joe Kelly is a sort of third member of our uh, triad there, um, you know, before Bill Lawrence came along later to make it a proper show. But we, after that second one, we pretty quickly got to work. We, you know, we spent a week at Jason's place mapping out like a six episode season and, you know, some character arcs and stuff. Um, a lot of which got kept eventually, but um, we, we were feeling pretty, pretty energized by it. But then uh, Jason kept having babies and <laughs> that slows things down. So it, it took a while for, you know, now all, all his kids can, you know, speak and walk. And so I guess that meant he was clear to carry this thing further. So when did you guys actually film this? What was it? 2018, 2019? We filmed it last year, between August and November of last year. And it looks like you're in London, right? Like, that's where you went oh, yeah. to film it. Yeah. Yeah, every frame is shot in London. It was great. How did you pick the locations? I mean, I'm really intrigued by everything from the locker room to the pubs to the apartments. It seems like you guys did a, a really nice job of scouting some great locations. Yeah, we, uh, we, first of all, just a lot of really good designers and crew people, you know, top to bottom. You know, Bill Lawrence, uh, who's you know, the showrunner of the show, he, at one point, he took like an advanced trip to London to figure out what would be the best area. And he, he came back just full of beautiful pictures of Richmond. And we were all like, yep, that's the spot. Okay, good. And then once we had that, 
you know, then Jason and I went there and like, we walked around Richmond. We had a couple of drinks with some of the producers and, uh, and at that point, <laughs> our favorite bar, the, our production designer decided to physically reproduce our favorite bar uh, in Richmond. So it's an exact copy that we have. So we have two, two versions of that bar to go to one at work and one at play. Um, but yeah, Richmond is, I mean, London's fantastic in general, but Richmond's really, really pretty. And uh, it was really, really fun shooting there. I love the depth of the characters on the show. You know, when I, when I saw, I've had Apple plus TV for a while now. And when I saw some of the previews, I was like, okay, this is going to be funny and, you know, comedic. And I like Jason and, uh, but I've been really surprised by the depth of the characters and the storylines and kind of the emotional bond that I've created with, with you and with Ted Lasso and some of the other characters as I've, what are we on? I think we're on episode uh, eight right now, almost episode um, nine. Seven comes out tonight. Yeah. Yeah. At, at, at time of uh, this interview. Well, I'm, I'm really glad to hear that. Thank you. Uh, yeah. One thing we identified pretty early on was that the commercials, while super fun, um, were too broad, you know, in terms of their comedic tone and in terms of the character and kind of a, you know, almost slapstick nature. The second one was a little bit less broad and there's a little more of the tone that we're doing now. But we knew that if we were going to try to make an actual series out of this, these would have to be real people with, with real characters, especially because the premise itself is kind of silly. So, you know, once we get, once we get past that though, then it's gotta be, we gotta play it as real as possible. And as, as we say in the improv world to the height of our intelligence. And, um, yeah, so I think that's what you're feeling there, and hopefully that'll, that'll carry on. Yeah. I mean, you feel like Ted Lasso and your character, Coach Beard, a little bit, fish out of water. I mean, you're on the flight, you're coming over to London, but then when you get there, and I've been in a lot of locker rooms, I've worked for pro sports franchises here in America, some of the, the psychology of coaching and how you relate to players, it starts to come out, and, and I really like that as each episode goes on. Because I think that's what makes players coachable, right? Like, you've got to have the psychology of, of relating to your players and having them respect and relate to you. Because, you know, the first thing you think of is the players look at this coach and go, wait a minute, he's coached American football. He's never coached soccer before. How does this guy relate to us? But you quickly see Ted Lasso and Coach Beard start to relate to the players on another level. Yeah, that's something that we're going for. And, and that, you know, Jason has a lot of role models in this. He's got, uh, you know, he's a big fan of John Wooden. Um, that's why we have John Wooden's Pyramid of Success hanging on our wall in our office in the show. Um, you know, he, he's met Bill Self a number of times. He's a huge Kansas fan, so he loves Bill Self. But he also was, a, was an athlete, at least as far as uh, high school um, and maybe community college. A lot to ask him about that. Um, but he, uh, he has coaches that he loved that meant a lot to him, and he's drawing specifically from his experience of that. Now, I was a phenomenally terrible athlete. Um, <laughs> I was I – was, incredibly bad at little league i was so bad at little league that i thought that charlie brown strips about the misery of baseball were essentially documentaries like it was just supposed to be like that so that's how it was <laughs> i was terrible but i kept going back for some horrible reason so i do not have the positive coach uh, examples to draw from but jason certainly does as does bill and uh yeah i think that's one of the things that helps make the character um a little more realistic than you think it's going to be one of my favorite moments of the show so far, I'm a big Allen Iverson fan. So, and I think the practice press conference is maybe one of the most memorable sports press conferences of the last 30 years. 
And the scene in the show where Ted Lasso is talking to one of the players about practice and, you know, you can hear Alan Iverson in your ear. How did that come about? Cause I thought it was brilliant. How did you guys come up with that? I was actually thinking about this. I can't quite remember exactly. I think it was one of those days where, you know, the writer's room kind of bounces things around and then like someone says something and then it just kind of builds and it's, it's organic and suddenly it's already happened. Either that or there's hundred percent Jason, one of those two things. There's really no middle ground. Um, but we're coming at it from a place of great affection for Allen Iverson. I mean, I was never a Sixers fan. I'm from Chicago and uh, love the Bulls. But um, everyone's got everyone's got respect for Allen Iverson. And, you know, that speech, you know, uh, is, I mean, it gets funny because it is funny. But it's, you know, there's a lot of different things going on in Allen Iverson's, like, personal life when that happens. And uh, I wasn't even aware of before we started looking at that speech a lot. But anyway, to key into the notion of Ted taking those words but imbuing them with, you know, opposite meaning essentially, um, it was just sounded really, really fun and sounded like something that Ted would be about. And yeah, we haven't quite figured out like the meta of it. Like, did does Alan Iverson exist in the Ted Lasso universe? Uh, has Ted never seen the speech before? He just happens to have done it. He's certainly not tired to quote it. I don't know. That's too too much of a rabbit hole. But uh, yeah, much love to AI. Well, one of the things that I love about Twitter is that. There's a lot of creative people out there, and sure enough, someone took the scene from Ted Lasso and they interlaced it with Alan Iverson's press conference. So you can see in real time, like, here's how Ted Lasso delivers it. Here's how Alan Iverson delivers it, and it was beautiful. Yeah, I we're getting some really cool fan content coming back at us right now. Uh, there's that. There's a guy who made a website called AFCRichmond.com, which, you know, I guess we're the morons who should have bought that address earlier. <laughs> and he's making like <laughs> athletic doc, the athletic.com level breakdowns of our uh, matches as if they were real and like our personnel changes. And it is fantastic. And so that and the guy you're talking about, I think his name is David Stauffer. I can't quite remember. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. The, the fan content coming back at us is, is kind of overwhelming. It's really cool to see. I love that. I got to check out. Is it afcrichmond.com, you said? Yeah. Okay. I got to check that out. How many takes for the Allen Iverson, I'm talking about practice from Jason? Oh, a lot. Um, It was a lot of takes um, because, you know, he's got to run that whole scene, basically. You know, he he can't, he has no dialogue to rely on coming back at him to help cue him. you know, and he had the speech, the full text of the speech, you know, on a sheet of paper back in his office. And I'm like back there with him between takes. And I'm just trying to like, okay, you said this wrong and this word should be over here. And he's like, yeah, yeah, got it, got it, got it. And in the end, the emphasis wasn't to do it exactly word for word, but we wanted to honor the tone of it as much as possible. So we spent a lot of time getting it right. And then in the editing, that had to be very meticulous as well. You know, like I remember one time at one end, it was like, okay, the first time you say not a game, we need to see your face. Uh, not a game. We can't be on Jamie here. We got to, that's when the penny's going to drop for people. Um, so it was a real, uh, you know, uh, jigsaw puzzle to put together, but we, we are, we are tickled by the result and that people are so tickled by it as well. I'm really interested in process. So it's my understanding that you and Jason met doing stand-up comedy. And when you improv. do improv, so when you do improv, you are improving, but I'm wondering how you go from that to memorizing lines as an actor, because to me, that would be really hard. I mean, in my business, like I'm improving right now, but 
sometimes you're reading a teleprompter and as an actor, you don't have a teleprompter there. You, you've got to memorize your lines. And like you said, you've got to figure out how am I going to deliver these in the proper cadence and, and things like that. How hard has that been for you to go from improv to scripted lines? Well, um, and I think this is true for Jason too. There's really been no time where we were just doing improv. That just happens to be where we met. And certainly we were both in school plays. So you're, you're learning how to, how to get your lines together from that point on. And then once you start doing it, eventually it just becomes a habit. And, you know, actors who've been acting long enough, you just learn them, you just learn them quick because you have to, you know, there's a, there's a curtain going up or there's a camera turning on and, uh, and you've got to be ready. So yeah, it's kind of just the necessity of the gig. So you just do it. And in terms of going from improv to acting, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I was always doing both, like from a very young age. Like when I was a kid, I, I literally wanted to be in both uh, the Royal Shakespeare Company and Second City, uh, which would be a tough gig just for the, you know, the frequent flyer miles. Yeah. But yeah, I've always kind of been split between those two fields myself. Uh, I've been to Second City and uh, what a brilliant place. So many amazing yeah. people like yourself have started there. When were you there? Oh, I, I just took classes there and like I wanted to be there as a kid. I never oh, okay. went there. Okay. Instead, I went to Amsterdam and I did this thing called Boom Chicago. Um, not that I necessarily would have ever have done Second City anyway, but, uh, uh, you know, which is to say, not that they would have ever thought me good enough to be on their stage, which is a, a great place. But the years that I would have been there, instead, I was in Amsterdam with Jason and with uh, Joe Kelly, the other, you know, uh, triad member of the show's creators. And, um, yeah, I ended up doing that instead. And that's where we all got into soccer. Okay. So staying with process, you guys come up with the idea for this. Now you've got to take it and you've got to pitch it to someone. Was Apple Plus TV, were they the ones that you targeted all along? Or, you know, do you have conversations with several different platforms before you, you wind up there? Uh, well, that's all um, a little above my pay grade. But I think what happened was, um, yeah, as is common, I think anytime you're ever pitching anything, you don't want to target one spot in particular. Right. You want to go to as many places as possible and, uh, and, um, and, and hope for the best. And so we, I believe we went to all the streaming places from the beginning because we knew we wanted to be a streaming show and not a, not a network show. Um, yeah, and Apple just kind of you know, won the bid, frankly. Um, and we're pretty fortunate about that. I'm really, I really love watching you know, kind of what they're putting together product-wise. There's just some you know, great shows in this stable and it's fun to be part of. Well, they've done a nice job promoting you guys, I think, um, you know, on their other programming. And then, you know, there's a few F-bombs and things like that dropped in here. So this wouldn't have been a network TV show. It wouldn't have had the same feel if it was on network TV versus streaming. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, a, little, uh, uh, we're a little bit clean outside of the language, but there's no way you can show a, a locker room and sports life and not have cursing. It just would have been ridiculous to try. So they've always been very uh, uh, allowing of that. And so that's been great. I love how Ted Lasso was bringing the owner of the team uh, biscuits. And then we find out, I guess, uh, I hope, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, we find out that Ted Lasso was making the biscuits at home. And I thought that was so charming. How did you come up with that idea? Because that's, that's one of those things I'm talking about where there's there's that relatability with the character here. Yeah, um, I can't remember how that idea, how that idea came about specifically, but I think we knew early on that. Uh, here's another spoiler uh, for the people: um, the the woman who hires 
um, Ted Lasso hires him because she wants the team to do badly. She's using him. And it just seemed pretty clear dramatically then, you know, for her plan to be, uh, you know, for her to regret her plan more and more, he had to be as kind as possible, which he naturally is already. So that became like, oh, you bring an apple to the teacher every day. Oh, he goes biscuits with the boss. Um, so yeah, it just came out of trying to create the dramatic tension of him being kind and her wanting to never actually have feelings for him because she doesn't want him humanized in any way, shape or form. Yeah. No, I think that's a fun relationship to watch as the episodes have uh, progressed because she has her struggles too in, in her life. And, and, you know, I think the fact that Ted is so nice, she's like, maybe I can be a nicer person too. That's, that's where mm -hmm. I kind of see this, this going. So Season two, I've read in several of the trades that there is a season two of Ted Lasso. Has that been officially announced? Uh, yeah, it sure has. In those very trades, yeah, we're writing it right now, in fact. Um, we've been writing it for most of the summer. And um, theoretically, um, you know, uh, international issues being what they are. Um, but if everything goes smoothly enough, we'll be out there again uh, the beginning of next year filming season two. And 10 episodes, is that kind of the... The goal That's the plan, again. yeah. That's great. Yeah. yeah, isn't it weird, like, thinking w during a pandemic, how do you film, how do you return to, quote-unquote, life as normal? Have you done anything during the pandemic, or has, have all of your projects been on hold? Um, I had a play that was supposed to open at the Kirk Douglas Theater um, that a play I was in and that I wrote, and... Um, we were all very, very excited about it. And it was scheduled to open uh, the, uh, the Wednesday after the Thursday that was the shutdown. And, and that, was, that was a bummer. But then we started writing this pretty shortly after that. So I've been very fortunate to you know, have a job during this whole time. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the live, I don't wanna drag down too much, but the live event world is really, really suffering. You know? In the same way the sports world has to a degree, but you know, at least sports have been able to go on for the most part just without an audience. But, uh, you know, theater and, and other, you know, concerts and stuff, it's really, really tough going right now. Yeah, it is very tough going. I hope that it returns to whatever the new normal looks like. I know a lot of people are out of work and, and this is their livelihood. So I hope that returns to normal. When you're writing an episode of Ted Lasso like you are right now, typically, how long does it take to write one episode? Well, it's all a bit of a mishmash because, you know, the idea is, you know, there's 11 writers in the staff um, and uh, we all, you know, work together. We would be around a conference table normally, but now it's just over Zoom. And, you know, at first we talk about, you know, the arc of the of the whole season, basically, and, and everyone's pitching in and everyone has ideas, you know, lar largely uh, conducted by Bill. Um, and then eventually it starts to get a little more specific and we're, you know, dividing things into what the episodes are. And then eventually someone gets assigned an episode and they go away and they go away usually for a week. And, um, and then they come back with a, with a draft and we give notes on that and we uh, go from there. So, you know, the, the nuts and bolts takes a week, but the, uh, you know, the, uh, if I may mix my metaphor is the planting of the seeds uh, happens much earlier. And you have more time right now because production isn't going on, but typically are you writing the entire season or are you writing episode by episode? Um, the, I mean, both, I guess, um, but you know, in, in order, yeah. Um, but yeah, we get, we get, 
you know, the writers are, are, are hired for 18 weeks, which is pretty standard. Um, and, you know, hopefully be able to get that done uh, in that time. Um, you know, but, you know, sometimes these things get extended, you know, who, who knows. But, um, yeah, luckily no one has a lot else to do. So it looks like we're, we're going to make it. Before I let you go, uh, your character, Coach Beard, is, it, I love, you're like the, the straight guy. You know, you just kind of, you're kind of stoic at times. Uh, you know, you chime in now and again. Is that your natural personality? Because just by talking to you now, it doesn't seem like that's your natural personality. You seem more outgoing than Coach Beard. It, it is not my natural personality. I am a loquacious bladdermouth, as a matter of <laughs> fact. Um, but, uh, but, you know, my, it's not my job on this. My job here is to, you know, serve the scene. And uh, Beard's job is to, is to serve Ted, you know, by doing such things like learning the rules of soccer and whatever else uh, Ted can't quite find time for. Um, so it's super fun, actually, to play straight man and to just to uh, be more economical and surgical with my uh, you know, moments of impact, so to speak. Um, you know, much as Jordan changed his game late in his career. Oh, no, no, I won't make that comparison. <laughs> um, but yeah, mixing it up, it's kind of fun. So have you been a Bulls fan all your life? Um, the very first basketball game I ever watched was the Michael Jordan 63-point game against the Celtics. Wow. And I, I knew the Bulls had existed before then, but I was never was a basketball guy. I, I knew that there was somebody named Reggie Theus and somebody named Artis Gilmore. Um, and Orlando Woolridge, but then that game, I mean, I just couldn't believe it. Because also somehow, even though I'd never watched a basketball game, I knew to hate the Celtics. It was just something that I, you know, found natural. Um, but from then on, just hardcore Bulls fan to this day. And I, uh, the, the day Derrick Rose got injured is still a real, real, real sad day in my life. <laughs> yeah, no, that was really, that totally changed the arc of that franchise for, yeah, till now, really. Yeah. Um, did you watch Last Dance? The oh yeah, every second of it. Wasn't it amazing? What did you like the most about it? Um, I don't know. It's a great question because there's all there wasn't that much of it that was new. You know, like we kind of seen all of this before, either from being a Bulls fan or like watching the Dream Team documentary, uh, for example. Um, but just you know, watching it play out, you know, finding out just how much of a distraction Dennis Rodman actually was. Um, you know, and like hearing some of the, the warts and all come out. Cause like a lot of this stuff was also in Sam Smith's book, the Jordan rules, which I read while I was in high school. Um, but you know, getting it out there about all the guys that, you know, Jordan punched <laughs> in practice and that sort of thing. It was just great to see it again and to relive it because that was, that was really an incredible time that I associate as I'm sure all, all both fans do. Like you associate that period with a specific period of your life and the friends you hung out with then you know, who you'd gather around uh, the TV to watch with, because you couldn't, you know, you're not DVRing those games. You're watching them as they happen. You're experiencing right. those emotions without interruption. And uh, yeah, it was just good to relive that again. The last dance was a chef's kiss. Mwah. So I, I used to work uh, in the NBA and have friends that are still there. So I'll tell you this. Maybe you don't know this. Only 5% of all of the footage that they shot was used in that documentary. So 95% of the footage they shot wasn't even used. So imagine, like, you could do another couple of last dances. When I heard that, I was like, my God, that's, that's a lot of footage they still have. I will say there was a real, real shortage of Luke Longley in that thing. <laughs> I will happily watch 10 episodes of the Luke Longley story. And I think I speak for America when I say that. So let's make that happen. That's right. 
Uh, soccer team. Do you have a favorite soccer club? Who are they? Uh, yes, Arsenal. Arsenal. London. Okay. Yes. So has that helped you by being a fan for being part of the AFC Richmond club? Have you, that's where you've brushed up on all of your soccer knowledge? <laughs> yeah. So we all you know, lived in Amsterdam for different periods, me and Joe and Jason uh, doing comedy out there with a, with a uh, theater called Boom Chicago. And yeah, again, there was no streaming, there was no DVRing. So I, I couldn't watch the Bulls or the Bears. Um, and so I had a sports shaped hole in my life and I slowly gravitated towards soccer, you know, in Holland um, in particular is a great team in you know, European championships and world cups. And I moved there in 1999 and in Euro 2000, Holland was the host. So it was a particularly big tournament there. And I lived with eight Dutch guys. We I just randomly, they had like a three story apartment above McDonald's around the corner from where I lived. And when I finally realized how big soccer was there was when my roommates built bleachers in our living room so that when we had parties to watch these games, the sight lines would be good for everybody. <laughs> and there was a sign-up sheet cause you couldn't just bring anybody. You had to sign up to bring friends because they had calculated like the weight distribution and how much would be too much for it all to collapse. So we had a projector and actual bleachers for the entire month of this tournament. And uh, that among other things got me hooked forever. Like, you know, I'd been told all my life that soccer was lame or boring or what have you. And like, I, I'd been lied to. I'd been lied to. It's one thing if you don't like sports, but if you don't like sports and you don't like soccer, then you confuse me. I, I don't understand because soccer's fantastic. What an amazing time in your life. And it sounds like the bleachers across from Wrigley Field, doesn't it? It kind of sounds like same kind of setup. Yeah. Yeah. Except I think at Wrigley Field, they were getting less drunk than we were getting watching Holland. <laughs> Well, that's great. Well, I appreciate your time. Brendan Hunt, you can follow him on Twitter at Brendan Hunting. You can watch him on Ted Lasso on Apple Plus TV, co-creator of the show. Coach Beard, you guys do a phenomenal job. I, I tip my cap to you and uh, keep up the great work. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. There's no question that live sports and entertainment events are changing as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. To ensure a strong recovery that keeps fans safe and engaged, sports venues are reimagining game day with Boingo's 5G connectivity solutions. Boingo Wireless helps partners across the NFL, NBA, MLS, and NCAA redefine the in-venue experience with 5G-ready cellular and Wi-Fi 6 networks that power new touchless technologies. From contactless ticketing and security and in-app food ordering, to IoT robotics for cleaning and maintenance, Boingo's backbone of wireless connectivity makes new stadium use cases possible. Choosing a digital transformation partner you can trust is key to achieving fan experience goals and following rigorous health and safety protocols. Boingo is the largest operator of indoor wireless networks in the U.S. They help world-class venues navigate a complex and ever-changing technology landscape and have done so for 20 years. I recently had Austin FC President Andy Lochnane on Sports Business Radio. Here's what he had to say about Boingo, Austin FC's 5G partner. A relatively competitive process led to a relatively easy decision. The decision to go with Boingo was one that came with a lot of comfort and confidence. Now more than ever, staying connected is what matters most, and Boingo makes it all possible. Our thanks to Boingo for their continued support of Sports Business Radio. If you need a trusted partner for your network and digital transformation needs, look no further than Boingo. Learn more by visiting boingo.com or emailing sbradio at boingo.com. 
That's sbradio at boingo.com. My guest is John Levy. He is the founder and CEO of The Score, the company behind the first and only completely integrated media and sports betting offering in the United States. You can follow John on Twitter at ScoreCommish, or you can visit thescore.com. The Score originally started as a sports TV network in Toronto, Canada in the mid-1990s. John, thanks for joining me. Why don't you walk us through the evolution of the company into what it is today from what it started as in the 1990s? Oh, my God. Thanks. Uh, first of all, thanks, Brian, for the opportunity. And uh, I should take you on the road. I like the way you introduced the whole uh, score and uh, the, the, the progression as to where we're at. But, um, yeah, let me just briefly fill you in because, you know, the whole thing with, with where we're at and, and – you know, this amazing opportunity that, that sort of right on, that we're right on now and, you know, NFL launching tomorrow and, and everything that's going on, um, really is a culmination, uh, as you indicated, of a whole bunch of years of us being in the media space and sort of prepping ourselves and gearing ourselves up to be able to get involved with sports betting. You know, I often joke when I'm talking to people about you know, uh, you know, when PASPA fell, a lot of people got really excited and said, oh, my God, sports betting, huge business, big opportunity. Why don't we get into this thing, right? For us, it really was this, this sort of development. And it goes way back. It even goes back before the, you know, the TV launch in the mid-'90s in Canada. I mean, I grew up in the cable TV business. So, you know, understand that whole business. And before we sold that business, uh, we, you know, in the late-'90s, we started the TV network, as you mentioned. And and that was the score, and it was this really cool, irreverent sports, uh, di- digital sports service, only available in Canada, obviously. And, you know, we, we, when we launched, we had a ticker um, on it that never went away, but more important, it was the ticker that had the odds on it, you know, and when we had on-air hosts, there were guys that, you know, that were like ESPN or TSN-ish, button-down, shirt-and-tie guys. These are guys you go to the bar with, and and, you know, when, when they're reporting on a game, there's some, some guy who kicks a field goal that takes it over at 18 point spread, you know, the traditional posts are going, oh, that's interesting. Our guys are pulling out their freaking hair because they probably blew a $50 bet. <laughs> so that was kind of how it developed. And it was more about the engagement and relationship with the customer, building the brand on a sort of a, a more one-to-one sort of um, discussion with, with who was consuming the content on the TV network. And because our audience was younger, it naturally gravitated to mobile technology. And so, therefore, we were one of the first ones to sort of have an app on BlackBerry and then iOS and Android. I mean, I actually, I think our first app was on that bloody flip phone, the Razor. So uh, we were in early, um, uh, but we carried the same attitude of trying to just scratch an itch and fulfill the needs of, the, of how people were now starting to consume sports differently. And, and you know, sports betting has always been a part of sports. Right. I mean, it's, to think about sports betting is this monolithic thing that's out there that's totally separate from how people consume or engage in sports we think is the wrong approach. So when passed with L, it was just natural for us to, to sort of say, OK, here's our moment. That was our second real aha moment. And now the question is, how are we going to get involved? And, you know, the, the big decision is, do we just rent our amazing user base, 4 million plus average monthly users engaged with our app 100, 150 times a month. We just lease that out to the other guys who are dying to get out of our engaged user base who bet on scores um, and do the same thing we did in the uh, poker days or in the uh, uh, DFS days and, and, and 
take in gobs of money that these guys were spending trying to grab market share? Or do we do it in a more authentic way and a real way? And that's what really set holistic, uh, holistic to us, which was not, no, let's not, let's not, you know, give away the milk when you own the cow, so to speak. Let's go all in. And we did. So as a result, we're the only, you know, sports, digital sports media company or sports media company that really the betting operator. And in the nutshell, that's the history of how we got here. It's really interesting. You know, again, you start off as a media company. How did your users, how did your audience, were they excited? Were they surprised? How did they react when you say, okay, we're offering the score bet now as well? You know what? I mean, it's all part of this natural transition. I mean, these guys bet, were betting on sports. They were, you know, the irony is they're on our app. You, you know, we kick out three to 400 pieces of content a day. Our data is faster than anybody else's. You know, we're kicking all this stuff out. And then they're taking all this. They get the inkling to go make a bet, and then they go elsewhere. So, you know, for us, it's really not about converting these guys into a betting app. It's really just about making it, um, you know, easy and, and, and just making it available inside this trusted brand, inside the place where they're at. Um, you know, a lot of the time when, when they're, uh, when, when they're uh, consuming or talking about sports or chatting about sports on the app. So it, it was really kind of completely natural. And, and you know, listen, the, uh, betting habits are hard to break. A lot of these guys are betting offshore, you know, pre-PASPA or, you know, in, um, in post-PASPA, like in New Jersey, when we launched in August, the other guys had a year head start on us. So these guys are betting elsewhere. And, you know, it's, it's not going to happen overnight, but as you, you know, run promotions and as you, you know, continue to, to uh, show people how easy it is to bet in our app as compared to having to go elsewhere, they then start to migrate. And that's what we, that's what we saw, you know, when we launched last year in August and, you know, in, in front of NFL season, our, our year end uh, is August 31st. So for our Q1 and Q2, we saw a nice growth and past the happens so everything shut down. Um, and since past the, you know, and since, uh, sorry, uh, sports have come back after COVID, um, uh, you know, it's, 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 uh, the, the pent up demand has been amazing. So, um, really all part of this natural transition. It's not forcing people to do anything that they otherwise wouldn't do. It's just sort of allowing it to happen and, uh, part of the natural migration. So you rolled out in Colorado last week, you're launching in yeah. Indiana soon, what was it like preparing to launch in the United States? And, and how did you pick those states, Colorado, Indiana, and where else you've gone? Okay, so, so you know, the, the first place we went was New Jersey because we did the deal right. with uh, Dennis Drazen and Mama Park, right? That right. was our first shot. And even before we launched it, we did this great deal with, with Penn, and that gave us access to 11 more states as regulations and licensing um, open up. Um, and in, independent of that, um, you know, we got the deal in, uh, in Colorado. Um, so it really, you know, and, and when you combine New Jersey, Colorado, the Indi- um, uh, Indiana, which is coming, and the other like 10 states that, that will be opened up as laws change through Penn, you know, we've already got like 30, 35% of the U.S. population covered. So um, it's, 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 you know, it's really, you know, keeping your head down. Um, it's, um, you know, looking at all the other states. I mean, the Northeast is a whole bunch of opportunities now that are, that are sort of, uh, presenting themselves. And I, and I don't think it's happening by accident. I think a lot of this accelerated pace in terms of the states opening up is because of, you know, the, the states 
you know, knowing that they basically have to refill the coffers after what they spent during COVID, right? And, um, you know, they can either tax share uh, the tax uh, citizens or or look at revenue streams that that, that make it possible. And, and obviously, sports betting is one of them. So, um, you know, I, 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 we just go where the opportunities are. And, you know, we've got a great team. Um, you know, we're sort of keeping our eyes open. We're lobbying all throughout the states to make sure that when the regulations come up, it's favorable to a company like ours, which, you know, listen, if, if there's tethering to brick and mortar casinos, we can go that route. Obviously, our strength is in the digital offering and, and, and sort of as wide open approach as possible. And some states are leaning towards that. Yeah, I'm so interested to get your thoughts on brick and mortar versus digital. Obviously, like you just said, you've been invested in digital for a long, long time. I wonder, you know, with COVID, and I know there's going to be a new normal coming out of this, but I just wonder how much people will go to brick and mortar versus the ease of pulling out your phone and, and being able to place a wager right there on your phone, wherever you are. I think there really are two independent um, sort of offerings and two independent businesses, obviously. Right. I mean, um, you know, I, I think a lot of what's happened during COVID is really accelerated um, a process and a, and, a, and, a, and a movement that was happening even before COVID. I mean, when you just think about sports betting, the natural way to do sports betting is on mobile devices, on your phone, right? I mean, you, you know, it's A, it's way people are consuming content. It's way people are consuming sports content. Um, and that's not to say people aren't going to go to casinos. They're not going to go to sports books. They're not going to go to sporting events. But, you know, our belief is that if you make it as easy as possible and you provide it in the medium where they are engaged and where they're getting their content and data for the most part, that tends to be what makes the most sense, you know? So, but again, that doesn't mean we won't look at the possibility of sports books in brick and mortar or doing, you know, relationships with, with brick and mortar offerings, but that would be as an adjunct to um, or a co-branding with with what our real strength is, which is um, you know which is the mobile offering, and you know and you know in terms of you know what we can do for for casinos or, or, or uh, you know basically we can help drive business into casinos as well. So there's there's all sorts of reasons why the relationship can make sense, but it's certainly not something that we're dependent upon. And I think if you look down the road, you know you know especially with you know when you look at forty to fifty percent of all betting now being in game. How else are you going to do that except on, um, you know, devices that provide you with fast, you know, official data and uh, allow you to do it in an integrated easy path? Like, a, like on our app, for example, you're on our app and you want to make a bet, you build the bet slip right inside your app. Um, and then you, it chains out to the, obviously, to the score bet because it has to be a separate app. Uh, for licensing purposes, but then after the bet's made, you're back into our media app, and it's all very trans, you know, uh, transparent, and it's, it's um, um, uh, very easy to to sort of navigation, and you really are really dealing with one brand. So, you know, we think that's the way um, kind of the future, and um, I think at the end of the day, down the road, you know, you're going to see <clears throat> um, that <clears throat> that that's the approach that wins out, and right now. Um, you know, there are very few companies that really, like ours, that really sort of, I think, that really understand that. You see the big media companies, the big casinos, you know, trying to supplement um, sports betting with content and with data and doing these deals where, like the NBC deal that was just announced with PointsBet. You know, it's, those are 
okay, but they're really nothing more than big, in my view, big marketing deals where, you know, interest is bought and then, uh, you know, ads are purchased back and, and, you know, branding is, is seen um, on TV networks or on boards and arenas or um, um, in casinos and sports books. You know, at some point, if you see enough of that, you kind of get a little bit immune to it. And, um, um, you know, I think it really comes down to uh, trying to trying to make life easy for, for users. You mentioned a few minutes ago the pent-up demand for betting because during COVID, for a long time there, there were no games, especially in the United States. Do you have any kind yeah. of numbers or, you know, I'm reading in different publications that we're seeing betting at an all-time high since sports return because of that pent-up demand? Yeah, I'm looking at the same numbers you are, basically, to see, you know, how fast things are coming back. Um, you know, Colorado's been, you know, been, been, been great, been great for us. Um, you know, I can only really talk to our two experiences, which are, you know, the, the, um, sort of the, the reset that happened in New Jersey. Um, you know, cause basically with COVID, everything shut down. And then for us, it was interesting because we actually got to reach, you know, to, uh, re, basically re-enter the market then at the same time as everybody else, whereas the first time we were a year behind. And, and, you know, um, so, so you got a chance to, um, compete sort of on level playing fields at that point. But, and what we have seen both in the media app and embedding is that it really is coming back very quickly. Uh, you know, from the media perspective, we're back up to where we were pre, basically pre COVID in terms of the number of users, the engagement of the user. And that's even before NFL has restarted as, as it will this weekend. In terms of betting, um, you know, we're seeing numbers that paralleled what we were doing as we were ramping up and we got to uh, sort of Super Bowl. Um, so it has come back very quickly. And, you know, Colorado is so fresh for us. I mean, we're less than a week out in Colorado. But again, looking at the number of users that are coming from our uh, media app, which is, you know, really where most of our users come from, because that's how we wanted to sort of create this business and develop this business. Um, it's been very, very um, very powerful, and and more interesting than that is kind of the, the the type of betters that are coming over. You know, they're betting more than we anticipated. Their engagement is higher, and uh, I can't say how long they're sticking around because we've only been there a week. But um, it, every indication is that that's very strong too. So, what we're seeing from the numbers early on um, is a verification that um, their this pent up demand is really showing itself, and I. I can't really imagine what it's going to be like starting this weekend when NFL starts. Yeah, that's going to be crazy. John, before I let you go, the score recently announced its foray into iGaming. Maybe you can talk a little bit about the decision to get into iGaming. Yeah, it's such a natural, right? I mean, if you look at most sports books, they, you know, they are, they offer iGaming as well. Um, you know, and, and in our particular case, um, we really, didn't have it initially in New Jersey because doing a deal with a racetrack, Monmouth Park, uh, um, as a racetrack, uh, on the regulations, it was not um, authorized to issue an iGaming license. So we had to sort of find our way in, which is uh, which is which is what we did. And uh, you know, with Twin Rivers, we just we just announced it, I guess, a week or so ago. So you know, some part of so probably some point within the next six to nine to 12 months, we'll be launching iGaming in Jersey as well. Now listen, it just makes sense. You know, people are on your serve on, on, you know, on the score, they're on score bet and um, you know, they have a wallet, they have an account with you. And you know, a lot of these guys are interested in, 
you know, uh, you know, I, I gaming, you know, online poker, I mean, sorry, online casinos such as blackjack and other casino games and slots. And typically for sports betting, there's about a 30 to 35 percent cross sell over to iGaming. So, and the margins on iGaming are pretty solid as you're aware. So it's, it's really just a, again, another one of these natural extensions. Um, and we would have been in it earlier if we could have, but we, we, we had to find a way into Jersey with our deal with Penn. It does include iGaming. So in any Penn state that we launch in, um, where iGaming is permitted and regulated, we'll be uh, launching that as well. So it's, um, a natural adjunct, again, into what we're doing. John Levy, the founder and CEO of The Score. You can follow him on Twitter at ScoreCommish, and you can visit The Score online at thescore.com. John, thanks so much for joining me on Sports Business Radio. Congratulations on all your success. Brian, thanks so much. It was a pleasure chatting with you. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. If you're working from home now like I am, you still need to look professional. Many of us are doing Zoom conferences or FaceTime calls with business associates. That's why I turn to my Mizzen and Main dress shirts. I need to look good from the waist up, but I also want to be comfortable. Mizzen and Main is like athletic wear disguised as a dress shirt, making them great for comfort while working from home. It's a shirt that has worked for thousands of customers, including hundreds of professional athletes like J.J. Watt and Phil Mickelson. Head on over to MizzenAndMain.com and use promo code SBR to get $10 off your dress shirt. That's MizzenAndMain.com code SBR. Guess what? Mizzen and Main also make super comfortable wrinkle-free pants and shorts, so you can check those out as well. Head on over to MizzenAndMain.com, use promo code SBR to get $10 off your next purchase. That's MizzenAndMain.com code SBR. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. Thanks to our friends from Boingo Wireless, CBDMD, and Mizzen in Maine. And thanks to our partner, Molka Sports, for powering Sports Business Radio. Learn more about them online at molkasports.com. That's M-A-L-K-A sports.com. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SB Radio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Sports Business Radio is produced by Brian Griggs and Griggs Productions, griggsproductions.com.